Good morning. I bring you greetings in the precious name of Jesus this morning as we've been blessed again to meet and fellowship together. Um, I'd like to draw our attention to a piece, uh, verse in First Peter that was in our lesson, I believe it was two Sundays ago. Um, First Peter chapter 2, there we have the passage of, of the acknowledgement of his writing to God's chosen people, and, uh, and then down in verse 7, it's always been one of my favorite verses here, but he says, therefore to you who believe he is precious. Referring to the Lord Jesus, and this morning as we meet together, as we worship together, I trust that the Lord Jesus means a whole lot to each one of you, a whole lot. And I find in life as, as I um, find myself in different uh, experiences and circumstances, there is never a place that the name of Jesus is not welcome. There is never a place in our lives that the name of Jesus does not bless us. Just recently I saw a, um, I guess you could call it a quote, but it asked the question regarding prayer. And sometimes I think we lose sight of the preciousness of the name of Jesus. But this quote regarding prayer says, Prayer, a steering wheel, or a spare tire? Prayer, a steering wheel, or a spare tire? And I believe that for you and I, that vibrant familiarity and dependence upon that precious name is one that will add tremendous blessings to our navigational skills in the spiritual walk of life. One of the reasons I say that this morning, this past, I'm not sure, last six months, five or six months, um, life has its ebb and flow in different areas, but we've, uh, my wife and I and our uh, church relationships, families, and so forth. We've had quite a number of people that we were relating to, re related with, uh, relating to in our congregations and so forth that that have been called from their pilgrimage here. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, how many of you all here would have known Orpha Teichmucker? A number. Some of us here had the privilege of working with her and her time in Puerto Rico and we weren't sure but my wife and I in retrospect we were very grateful to be able to go and uh, be there for their funeral and again I just had to reflect on the people of God to whom Jesus is precious there is no greater joy in a time like that than the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus and you look back in your own experience, and I could share quite a while from mine and the experiences where I observed 
those who left this life. And in spite of all the travail, the, the uh, grief, but all is involved, the hope, the rest, the peace, when we know they were prepared because his name was precious to them. And so I don't plan to preach on that this morning, but again, I would just, if you are not experiencing the joy of that precious name this morning, dust it off. Make it special. Look to him. One of the blessings that we experienced that reminded me of this Again, as we went to that double funeral in the state of Oregon the other week, we were picking up our rental car, and my wife, she said, I wonder how far Anatoly and his family live from here were. And she was referring to a Russian family that lived there in our area 20-plus years ago. After we had come back from Puerto Rico, they rented a house there adjacent to ours, and, and our children played with their children, and, and um, many were the times and, that we had together those few years. But one night, you know, one Christmas Eve night, he knocked on my door at 12.30 or 1 o'clock at night. And there was no doubt that he was urgently in anguish. Their little girl had been sick and um, their English was very poor and she died that night. What other hope except Jesus? There is no other name. That, I appreciated that hymn you opened up with your brother this morning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. How true and whether it's a, an innocent child, whether it's a grandmother, whether it's a young person, regardless of, of where they're at in life, to us it is special this morning to meet in the precious name of Jesus. <clears throat> I trust he is your all in all this morning. Now, for the, by way of the message this morning, I would like to share um, on a subject that is very depressing. We, we try to stay away from negatives, don't we? But it's very encouraging. Um, so I invite you to Think with me a little bit in the Old Testament spectrum, and I want to refer to a number of names this morning, but I'd like to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19 for a group of verses here. An encouraging message over dealing with discouragement or depression. 
And I'd like to begin at the onset of just acknowledging the fact that whether we admit it often or not, there are times, places in life's pathway where probably each one of us could say that we have faced discouragement. We have faced a time when we were really not sure. We were discouraged about circumstances, situations, things that we faced. And um, here in 1 Kings chapter 19, we have the account of the time after that special time of victory there on Mount Carmel. And Elijah was, uh, we could say he should have been at his strongest. We could say he should have been at the top of his game, if you will, as a prophet for the Lord. And so we want to look at a little bit what happened and how quickly it happened in his experience. But also, um, as a preface or a foundation for the message this morning, I would also like to say, I, I feel this message is not one that is coming to you because I think you are discouraged or you are depressed, okay? But the fact is that whether we have ever faced that scenario or the likelihood of us relating to someone that we find facing discouragement in the life of the church or outside in the world, outside of the kingdom of God, is very real. And so I think it's good for us to think about that and, and realize that there is strength for us and there is a path for victory to offer and extend through the word of God and the lives of others that we relate to that, that can find themselves overwhelmed life circumstance um, I think the story is familiar enough I won't go into much detail other than to refer to the fact that they Elijah had won a great victory there and God had showed himself strong and uh, he had followed through and had Remove the prophets of Baal. But in chapter 19, verse 1, let's begin reading there. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this, this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. What was it that transpired so rapidly? What was it that pulled a veil across his eyes that he could only see what he had recently acted upon against the servants of Baal? What was it? That struck his heart with fear. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. 
And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid, down, laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have, seen, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken my covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets, with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... A still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Probably a lot of people have heard that question phrased different ways when they found themselves discouraged. What are you doing here, my child? <clears throat> what seemed to be a sound and resounding victory turned into a hasty fleeing for his life. And what was the difference? What was the difference? Was it not his perspective? Was it not his forgetting who God was? Was it not his, in the face of fear, acting without faith? And we see it as a dramatic illustration of how quickly something can change. There's another element to this I want to bring to your attention this morning. But as we, as, as people, relate to the ebb and flow of life and the challenges we find, let us not forget that from those you may consider the greatest to those the weakest, there is that potential for discouragement. There is that potential for uh, that sense of being overwhelmed with what one faces. So as you pray for each other and, and do not faint by the way, remember, your ministry, those you look up to, are not without the potential of discouragement this morning. Elijah was not alone. The words of David, uh, in many occasions, demonstrate some of the same thoughts of struggles, Moses, Job, others in the Old Testament. Um, 
reflected on this perspective at times in their life. But you know, here in this account, Elijah was overwhelmed. It's kind of like most of you have probably been to the ocean and seen heavy surf. And if you get in front of a wave at the wrong place and you don't intend to go to shore, but you get in the wrong place, it will take you there. It will overwhelm you. It will cast you out <laughs> as far as its reach goes. I'd like to look at a couple scriptures. If you care to turn there, you may. A couple from Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverb writer is many times spoken words of wisdom, general truths into our lives. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is the tree of life. One element of discouragement that can happen, and depending on what all is involved, but something that is expected or looked forward to, and it doesn't happen. It's not accomplished. It's not attained. And then what? Our head hangs. Our shoulders droop. Our expectations aren't met. And that's okay. But we must remember that those broken dreams, those things that, that we deal with, they have to be taken back and offered on the altar of sacrifice and acknowledged that God is in the picture. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Proverbs 18 verse 14 is another verse that merits some consideration in this subject. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? We are limited in our own ability to deal with certain aspects of discouragement. And that's why, as we'll look at it again later on likely, but the invitation of Christ is so precious to us. When he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. rest. I will give you rest. <clears throat> where discouragement sets in it is important that we take it to the Savior it's important that we lift it up and there are those that find themselves not availing themselves of the avenue of, of God's word and I, I want to say this carefully but I think there are times when when the uh, the skills of of 
medicines and so forth have a place, I think so often, many times, we fail to avail ourselves of the Word of God as the first step of keeping a right spirit, a right view, and um, committing our way into the hand of God, knowing, knowing that he can do for us more than anyone else, regardless of the things we face, committing our way into his care. Many times in the entrance of discouragement, there is the temptation of the evil one. The fiery darts can come our way, and we can... We can say we're uh, discouraged from that, but Paul, I appreciate so much, he was inspired to write and challenge us on putting on the whole armor of God. And that purpose is to, to avail ourselves of the strength of God, the power of God, that we may be able to stand against those things that come into our life. Those attacks, whether they be literal verbal, whatever they may be, um, and realizing that it's not flesh and blood we're wrestling against, but the powers of darkness, principalities against the rulers of darkness in this age. When you think of the challenges of facing those temptations, I had to think of Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, the illustration or the, the setting is given there of the record of one who had fallen into sin and who had repented and in his repentance uh, there was, I'm going to say a struggle, a, a difficulty in being accepted, and um, perhaps we'll just turn to that and read those verses to make sure we get the context correct. But the picture uh, helps us to realize that there could have been discouragement, undue discouragement in the life of that believer. I want to begin verse 7 of chapter 2 of Second Corinthians. I'll begin in verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Uh, then dropping down to verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Guarding against the power of darkness taking advantage of the temptation through discouragement whether in our own life or in the lives of others we would want to keep a clear perspective on eternal principles and walk in it first peter 5 Beginning in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. <clears throat> and he goes on to um, pick up a, a theme there that was in our lesson this morning of, of being sober and, and watchful and, and uh, 
guarding against the attacks of the evil one as well. When discouragement comes our way, where do we go? Where should we go to, be, to begin with? I invite you to, to Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> Scripture I referred to earlier. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, I believe many times men find it hard to come to the Savior because of our, the carnal tendency of a self-will, of a carnal, uh, rebellious spirit. And yet Christ here, even as he invites us, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I am meek and lowly in heart. It wasn't like, Come to me, I'll do it for you. It was just a simple, open, loving invitation to find the place of rest. I'd like to go back to the Old Testament. <clears throat> it's another illustration there that a couple passages. Uh, to begin with, Psalm 61. I think it's a healthy thing for us to acknowledge times when we face challenges. Now, sometimes that may take a bit of humility on our part. Uh, humbling ourselves sufficiently to, to share with our spouse, our family, our brothers and sisters in an appropriate situation of, of what we're being challenged with in our mind. But one of the encouragements I find in, in the scriptures is the fact that those uh, examples of old some of the strongest, most vibrant of testimony we find had their times of discouragement, and they didn't deny it. They didn't gloss it over, but they held it forth and said, this is where I was, but here's where God put me. This is where I was, here's where God led me. And uh, we see that here in Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. David here in this psalm acknowledged the place of need that he found himself in. And this was 
I, I tend to think that by his experience and writings in the Psalms that it was not necessarily just one time that he needed to cry out to God, but on multiple occasions. But in verse 4, I see an important aspect. He says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. That place of worship, that place of communion, that place of relationship with God, that we acknowledge our dependence on Him. In the quietness of our own personal time, in the, in the company of friends and brothers, before the congregation. But he says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. The tabernacle I see is a, a picture of that relationship, of entering in and opening himself before God. In verse 7, I believe we see there, he reminds us, as he was inspired to write, he says, Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which we may preserve him. He, he said something there that acknowledged he had a need that only God could meet. The mercy of God and the truth of God was necessary in his life. Now, to build on this psalm, I would like to invite you back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I think until we go there, we can only see half of the picture of the significance of that psalm. <clears throat> David and his men had been in the midst of the Philistines, and the time came when the analysis of the circumstances was revealed that it would be better if David returned and left out of their presence. And in chapter 30, verse 1, we pick up there, and it says this, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and had smitten, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold... It was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Do we have that fortitude? We were the last man standing alone in the face of the tumult the gravity of the circumstances they experienced, not knowing, only seeing that it was burned and all were gone. And then on top of that, David experienced the circumstance of the people bringing the thought of laying the blame at his feet. 
But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I take encouragement from that this morning, brothers and sisters. We think of the scriptures that tell us our Savior was tempted in all points like as we are. And I, um, I think we can identify with that. But there are many others who have been tempted in points that we've never been in ways. And to see them come through to victory is precious. I want to look at a couple things further here in this passage. Down in verse 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 30. In verse 6 it says, But David encouraged himself. And then in verse 8 it says, And David inquired at the Lord. Just as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. For us to find victory from discouragement, we need to do what David did, inquire of the Lord. We need to put ourselves out before the Lord and to open ourselves up to Him. The one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who prepared for us such a wonderful plan of salvation. Hear my cry, O God, attended to my prayer. Paul said, similarly, in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasseth all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Sometimes it may mean nudging each other to clear or to clarify the proper perspective of Scripture in, in light of our circumstances. It may be an encouraging word for a sister or brother. It may be a serious assessment of having left one's first love and begun to trust in other means and the, the consequences of that in one's life. Even in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, there are a number of verses that would indicate there is, there is virtue and value in standing together. And we understand that in the brotherhood concept of the body of Christ for today. Um, our dependency ultimately must be on the Lord. There is the synergistic or the, the multiplied beneficial effect of brothers and sisters loving, encouraging each other in time of, of need. And so I would encourage you in that as well as you relate to this topic in whatever way you may find yourself uh, in relating to others whose lives have been um, experienced the captivity of, of uh, discouragement, of thinking beyond where God wants us to think. <clears throat> the scripture does have some other directions for us. Um, the proverb writer, thinking about 
life. He said, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Now, I can't say that I can speak with complete definity of what the significance of that is, but I think there is something we can draw from that, and that is at times in a setting of uh, discouragement, there's virtue in clearing one's mind, getting a different perspective. If you think you've got problems, go visit somebody that's sick or in the hospital. Um, you know, in, in the life of the ministry, I found that that's so true many times. The things you're dealing with seem so small when you start to, to reach out to someone else that's, that's walking through a dark valley. And it changes your perspective. It helps you to, to see clearly and to get a grip on the things you're do, dealing with and, and challenged with. <clears throat> Paul writing to the Philippians as well there in chapter 4, verse 8, is good therapy for us. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. One of the things I think that sometimes Christians fall into the trap of is, is thinking that God has designed for us to process the negative things in life. And What's that term if on a digital file you can set it to just keep playing? Um, if a person takes that and, and allows themselves to, to ponder that thing, that, that negativity, and just replay it in their minds over and over again, what do you think the outcome will be? It will be the fermenting the production of negativity. Joyfulness and cheerfulness are medicines that God has for us to take in big doses. It's good to smile, it's good to laugh. It's good to look at life on the bright side and yet, in a sense of reality. And the bright side, many times, takes us back to where we started this morning. And that is the fact that to those of us who have heard the sound of the gospel, who have heard the precious name of Jesus and have experienced his company, there is joy in spite of the, the most the darkest path. <clears throat> I guess we won't take time to go there. I see our time's getting all, but Psalm 1. Consider those things that are set forth as a blessing to the man there in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. And there are the first several things it refers to are negatives.
not associating ourselves with the negatives that could be dwelt upon. One of the things of encouragement for us in the face of discouragement is that God can relate to our discouragement. I alluded to that just briefly in the fact that Christ was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews um, chapter 4 there in 15 and 16, we can, we can relate to that. In Hebrews chapter 12, we have the verses there of, of looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. There is a joy greater than anything God will ask us to endure here. There is a joy in it that he has for us, just as our Lord's example. One of the blessings of, um, I want to tie this in here, of experiencing life as God wants us to. I believe God doesn't want us to deny the realities of our thoughts at times, but to acknowledge them and to put them in their proper place. And as we look on the lives of others who have gone before us, I was impressed again as, as we were at that funeral recently, and, and I heard Sister Orpha's brothers share of their experience as a part of her family. Then I heard the Schmucker family share as they experienced the last 17 years with her as stepmother and grandmother. And the joy that was theirs by virtue of her commitment to the Lord. And uh, those of us that knew Orpha, um, found it a privilege, I believe, a very much of a joy to work with her. But her brother, one of her brothers, gave this story there, and I'd like to just share it as a challenge to you and I. <clears throat> the patterns we choose in life and, and so forth have a lot to do with, with our ability to enjoy the blessings of God, I believe. He said in school uh, one day she had won a candy bar from some high grade achievement or something. I forget if, what the occasion was, but she had this candy bar and after school she was not one to take a prize for granted. She wanted to enjoy it. And she was enjoying her candy bar and a couple of her brothers had asked her and gotten a piece of it already and he went to her to see if he could join in her victory as well. <laughs> her victory celebration. And as Orpha was known to say, she said, well, it is my candy bar. But then she gave him some. And is that not very similar to our walk in life? God has given us life, but it is our choice to give it back to him. It is our choice and when we find ourselves facing things that challenge our comfort zone, when we make it that choice, the joy is there because we've done it for a purpose 
for the praise of his glory and not for the consumption of our uh, temporal home here. So we have the blessing of a God who understands our discouragements. We could go to, our time is already up almost, but in Isaiah, just I would direct you back to the prophecies there of Christ's suffering. And then I'd like to conclude with a few thoughts on what is our response? What is the response of a life who finds discouragement because of past mistakes? I invite you to Psalm 32. I'll read the first five verses here. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture was, is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Look at the blessing there of coming to God and acknowledging our need and going to him for forgiveness where we failed, knowing that he is the only one that, through whom we can avail the relief of that guilt. Then turning over to Psalm 51. First three verses. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Then dropping down to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. <clears throat> Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I'll leave off reading there. Um, the the uh, conscience disturbed by the weight of sin can often bring discouragement and depression and rightly so there's a purpose in that that God has instilled that in us but praise be to him there is the avenue of forgiveness of reconciliation and so in conclusion I would just touch a couple of thoughts here how does God expect us to deal with difficult situations Let's not forget that James in his letter says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the test trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The concept of Christ being tempted in all points like as we are, with that, he has promised us that we will not face anything greater than we are able to overcome as well in 1 Corinthians 10.13. And then sometimes 
we need to just um, redouble our efforts and commitment to walk in the joy of the Lord, knowing that we don't have to have, we don't live in a perfect world. Everything around us will not always be like we may dream, may hope. Paul writing to the Philippians said, Not that I speak in regard to want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, and I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's quite often different than a person that finds themselves overwhelmed. And we say, Lord, I can't do it. Isn't it? There's a difference. There's a difference there. And so it's a call, it's a reminder for us to come back to him. Um, First Peter chapter uh, <clears throat> Five. I think this verse here is a good note to close on. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthened, strengthen, settle you. We are in the midst of a work that God is doing in our lives. And as we remember that, let's remember that that work, for it to be accomplished in us, we will need to look to him in faith day by day. And I'm glad the scriptures tell us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If we lose sight of that, we've lost sight to the precious name of Jesus. And we will likely struggle. So I encourage you this morning, maybe you are at the top of your game in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's for his glory, not yours. But if you aren't, God bless you as you seek his face. And if you're relating to someone who is struggling, in the workplace, in the world around you, we see all manners of confusion and, and so forth. Last Sunday evening, or Saturday evening, we were traveling down to Caswell and um, stopped to get gas. And there was a little Hispanic family there, car there at the gas pump, and a little boy was out there wandering around the back of the car, and he had a keychain. And what was on that keychain? What do you think was on that keychain? Jesus, Jesus. And I, while I was still pumping gas, here come the men of the group, the leaders of the group. And they had their arms full of beer to put in the trunk. The choice is ours. What we get out of life, where we will be in 10 million years from now. Shall we have a song?